Uh, I'm curious this morning how you feel about waiting. How do you like, how do you feel about a good, long wait? Especially when you're in a hurry. How do you feel about that? Do you enjoy a good, long wait? For instance, you're sitting in traffic on the Lloyd Expressway, running late maybe for an important appointment. Uh, There is construction up ahead, and they have narrowed down the lanes to just one lane, and consequently, traffic is barely moving, and you're in this big hurry. Let me ask you something. Which of these statements best represents what you are feeling in that moment? A, golly, I wish I had extra bottles of water to hand out to the seven construction men who are watching that one guy work. I'll bet they're thirsty. Does that represent what you feel in the moment? How about this one? B, Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to practice the spiritual discipline of patience. How many of you feel that in that moment? I suspect very few. How about this? C, I think I'll let that sweet old lady cut in front of me. One more car isn't going to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. How many of you feel that? Or here's the last one, D. Lady, if you even think of cutting in front of me, I will run my SUV over your car like a truck at a monster truck rally. If your answer was D... And I will tell you right now that mine likely would have been D. I think you'll appreciate the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me in it to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21. I want to welcome those of you who are new to City Church. We're just so glad to have you here uh, this morning. And uh, I want to welcome those of you who are listening on our app or our podcast. We're delighted Uh, that you've joined us as well. We're in a series, just want to reset here. I know I do this for those of you who are regulars here every week. I know, you know, you might get old. Uh, This might get old, uh, me kind of resetting every week, but I think it's important to do it. We're in a series in which we're walking through the first half of the Gospel of Mark. And the first half of the Gospel of Mark covers three and a half years in the life of Jesus. What we're trying to do in this series, we want to understand who the historical Jesus was from firsthand accounts of his life. Not from, not, you know, not from what people today think and not, you know, all of that. We want to get to the firsthand accounts uh, of Jesus' life. Mark was the first, the earliest account of Jesus' life and ministry of the four Gospels. And so we're going through the Gospel of Mark. Let's pick up the narrative, again, from verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. Let's start reading there. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, remember now, if you were with us last week, Jesus was on the other side of the lake. He had uh, done a demon, uh, he encountered somebody who was demon-possessed and done an exorcism. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now just stop there uh, for just a moment. For those of you uh, who were with us last week, uh, the reception of Jesus on this side of the sea couldn't have been uh, more different than the other side. You guys remember how they treated him on the other side? Like they wanted Jesus to leave town ASAP. They just wanted to get him out of there. On this side, though, there is a crowd waiting for him as soon as he arrives. And right away, we meet the ruler of the Jewish synagogue there, a guy by the name of Jairus. Now, I, I just want to take a moment and I want to put you in this man's shoes, okay? It appears to me that unlike many of the other Jewish religious leaders that Jesus encountered, Uh, It appears to me that Jairus believes what he has seen and what he has heard about Jesus. 
as a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, Jairus would have been a man of great devotion to God. He would have had a position of great respectability in the community. He was probably wealthy because Jewish religious leaders tended to be wealthy. Uh, He was a prominent citizen. All of this, though, for him, I'm guessing, I don't know this, but I'm just guessing all of that might be at risk by coming out and making his belief in Jesus known. But his little girl is about to die. And those of you who are parents, it's like you can understand this, right? Because your reputation, your wealth, none of that matters in that moment. But your child, that's all that matters. And I want you to notice his language in verse 23. He, he, he doesn't just say, he doesn't say, well, she might die. He, he says, she is dying. So this is a desperate man. And in an act of humility, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he pleads with him to come with him. And Jesus says, yes. Now, like you can imagine, on the one hand, the relief that he feels when Jesus says yes, right? But on the other hand, if if he'd already kind of given up on his daughter, now that he realizes there's hope, imagine his insides. Imagine how they're, they're churning with fear that they would be too late Uh, to get to her. Imagine the sense of urgency that he feels. He's never had in all of his life, no matter who's come to see him, no matter how important his appointments were, he's never had a more important appointment than this one. Imagine the urgency that this man feels. Now read on from verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, let me just say this. Had nothing more happened, the fact that this woman was healed, wouldn't have been a problem for Jairus, right? Wouldn't have slowed down the process of getting Jesus to his daughter. Uh, all she's really done is she's, you know, she's touched him, and she's ready to go, and uh, everything's fine at this moment as far as Jairus is concerned. But then verse 30 happens. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked Who touched my clothes? All of a sudden, on this trip to see Jairus' daughter who is dying, maybe just moments to live, all of a sudden, Jesus stops everything. He stops the entourage. He stops the sirens. And he wants to know who touched him. He wants to have a conversation about this. Now, can you imagine how Jairus must have felt in that moment? Imagine the nausea in his stomach at that moment. It's like, this makes no sense. Why are we stopping? What are you doing? My daughter is dying. She may have only moments to live. And yet Jesus forced him to wait. While he finds this person who touched his clothes. How do you like a long wait? Especially when you're in in an urgent situation. How would you like to be waiting like that? Your child is dying. Maybe it's something else. What Really urgent. How would you like the fact that Jesus stops everything to have a conversation with someone? 
Verse 31. The disciples say to him, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? You know what we would call this today? We call that malpractice. Like you don't have to be a doctor to know that if you have a patient who's dying versus one who isn't dying, you attend to the dying patient first, right? Like you don't have to be a doctor to know that. Of course, of course that's what you do. But Jesus does the opposite. And Jairus' daughter is dead as a result. I want to just be very candid with you guys this morning about something. This is one of the major issues that I have with Jesus. His, his timing. Right? Um, God's grace never seems to operate according to my schedule. Do you feel me on that? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Do, do you ever feel that same thing? That like God's grace just does not seem to operate on your schedule? He doesn't... He doesn't seem to have a sense of urgency, or at least he doesn't seem to have uh, the same sense of urgency that I have about things that are going on in my own life. Jairus must have felt that Jesus' delay was irrationally, unconscious, uh, unconscionably, inordinately wrong. And I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that some of you are in a place today where you feel the exact same thing, like You've been praying, and you've been praying about something, but God has not come through. In fact, while you have been praying about it, whatever it is, while you've been waiting, things have only gotten worse. Maybe it has to do with one of your children. Maybe it has to do with uh, a job. Maybe you find yourself waiting on a future spouse, and you keep thinking, when, when, when am I going to meet that person? And you don't. Maybe it's it's health-related. And you can't understand why you're having to wait. Why isn't God doing something? Doesn't he realize what's happening? Doesn't he realize how bad this is? You know, I, I want you to know that, that what I'm going to say here, I, I don't say this lightly because I have been in your shoes more times than I care to count, and undoubtedly I am going to be there again at some point in the future. But I do want to say this. Some of the most profound lessons that I've learned in my life over the years have come through those very difficult times of waiting. And while, while I can't answer uh, why in your specific situation, why God hasn't done anything yet, I do want to show you two lessons that I think we learn from this delay that Jesus forces Jairus to go through in this passage. One of which, one of these lessons, I think, may encourage you as you wait. And then I think one of them may change the way that you see Christ and maybe the way that you treat people as a result. Okay? So one of these lessons I think will encourage you as you wait, and then one of them I think is going to just, maybe it's going to turn the, maybe it's going to change your paradigms. Maybe it's going to turn everything upside down in the way that you see people, maybe the way that you see Christ, maybe the way that you understand the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
in the world. Okay? So let's start with the first one. Here's the first one that I see from this passage about waiting and about Jesus' delay. Uh, when you go to Jesus for anything, you get and you give far more than you bargain for. When you go to Jesus for anything, you get and you give far more than you bargain for. And let me, let me just show you what I mean. Let me, Jairus, for example. Okay, so Jairus goes to Jesus for healing. He wants Jesus to heal his daughter's illness that is killing her. But he gets way more than he bargained for. He's just been told that his daughter is dead. I want you to watch what happens, verse 36. Ignoring what they said... Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they they laughed at him. After he put them out, uh, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jairus comes to Jesus for a healing, but instead he gets a resurrection. Now that's, I think you would agree, far more than he asked for. But he also ends up, Jairus also ends up giving more than he thought he would have to give. Jairus came to Jesus expecting to have to trust him just long enough to get home. Right, I just got to trust Jesus long enough to get home and get him to heal uh, my daughter. But Jesus wanted something more from Jairus because he turns to Jairus when news is received that his daughter has died from Jesus' malpractice. And what does he say in verse 36? He says, don't be afraid, just believe. By the way, this isn't just believe in some general sense. Just believe in some, you know, just whatever you believe in, just believe. He's saying believe in me. Believe in my power. Believe in what I can do. Right? That's what he's saying. Okay. In other words, he's saying, trust me. Now, I think you would agree, when you hear that your child is dead, and Jesus says, ignore them, trust me, I think you would agree that that's a test of faith far beyond anything that when Jairus first went to Jesus, he thought he would have to meet. You see, in, this, in Jairus' case, He gets way more than he bargained for, but he also ends up having to give far more than he bargained for. I think the same is true for the woman in this story. She goes to Jesus to get healed. She just wants to touch and run. That's really what she wants to do. But Jesus wants to give her more than just physical healing, and so he forces her to go public, right? Now, when when Jesus turns around and he he says, who touched me? Of course, Jesus knew who touched me. Who touched him? He knew that. She needed to be asked. See, it wasn't that Jesus needed to know. It was that she needed to be asked. She needed to be challenged to go public. 
It was very threatening for her because to touch a rabbi when she was ceremonially unclean, that was part of the, it was part of the Mosaic law, that if, if, that if you were bleeding, that you were ceremonially unclean. And so by touching a rabbi, she was breaking an enormous taboo, which is why she's so frightened. By forcing her to go public, this is way more than she wanted to give. See, this woman has a, she has a quasi-superstitious understanding of Jesus' power. She thinks that the touch healed her. Jesus' whole point, though, is to get her out there, get her out in public, to get her to declare who she is so that he can say, oh, no, 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 no. It's not the touch that healed you. It's faith in me that healed you. Okay? And see, there's, there's, that's all the difference in the world between being a semi-superstitious person who got a bodily healing and a life-transformed disciple of Jesus for all of eternity. She came for healing, and she left with a relationship with Jesus. Because did you notice what he called her in verse 34? He called her daughter. And then he said, he said to her, he said, go in peace. That word peace is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, which means more than just peace. It means a sense of complete and total well-being. You see, she got more. She, first, she gave more than she counted on. She had to go public when she didn't want to. But she also got more than she bargained for. She got more than physical healing. She got her soul healed in this exchange. Much more than she went to Jesus for. And so I just want to repeat that, that, that first thing that we get, that when you go to Jesus for anything, you get and you give much more than you bargained for. Now, in this period of waiting that some of you are in today, again, I don't know what the circumstances are, but in this period of waiting that you're in, I can promise you a couple of things. That on the other end, you will get more than you bargained for. But I can also promise you that during this period of waiting, you're going to end up giving more than you bargained for. You're going to learn more. You're going to grow more. You're going to be stretched more than you bargained for. All you want right now is for Jesus to just intervene in some, miracu- in some miraculous way. But I promise you, you're not only going to get more, but you're going to give more than what you bargained for. Okay. Here's the second lesson I think we learn from this delay of Jesus as he makes Jairus wait. Here's the second thing. And this may change, I think, some of you, how you view people, how you view the world, how you view the gospel. And here it is. God's grace reverses the values of the world. God's grace reverses the values of the world. I want you to just take a moment and think with me about the stark contrasts between Jairus and this woman in this passage. Mark doesn't ask us to do that directly, but he really You can tell indirectly he wants us to see these contrasts. On the one hand, you've got a rich, prominent male Jewish leader versus a broke woman. On the one hand, you've got a parent whose daughter has brought him great pleasure for 12 years. And on the other hand, you've got a woman whose illness has brought her great misery for 12 years. On the one hand, you've got a ruler of the synagogue. On the other hand, you've got a woman whose bleeding would have made her religiously unclean and not allowed in the synagogue. You've got a man whose name we know, Jairus, versus a woman who is so unimportant in that culture, we don't even know her name. 
On the one hand, you've got a man whose medical emergency is acute and urgent and immediate and life-threatening. And on the other hand, you've got a woman whose illness is chronic, but she's not dying. Now, let me ask you something. In our world, who do you think gets the attention every time? Even if the situation wasn't acute, who do you think gets the attention every single time? Yeah, I think you know the answer to that. Every time, it would be Jairus. Yet, I will tell you that if you just look at this passage, Jesus Christ turns to the woman with zero social, economic, capital, and power, and he gives her his full attention and treats her as if there were nothing else in the world but her. And he tells Jairus, the rich, prominent, well-known dude, religious guy, he says, Jairus, you can wait. I got something that has to happen over here with this woman. Jairus, uh, you can wait. And of course, the reason for this is that Jesus doesn't come to people on the basis of pedigree or status. In fact, this this woman, as I said, she's quasi-superstitious. Her quality of faith is lower than Jairus' quality of faith, faith. Yet in a crowd, if anything, Jesus is more attracted to the people who are the most messed up and who have messed up the most. (laughs) See, Listen, I I want you to hear this. This is what the gospel does in people's lives. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus is, if anything, attracted to the people who are the most messed up and who've messed up the most. And so the second thing that this delay teaches us is that Jesus is a God of real grace. And that grace completely reverses the values of the world about things like beauty and status and power, and it changes how we view people in the world. If, if Jesus views people differently, then we view people differently. Now, just, here's a parenthesis, just a parenthesis. Okay? Uh, I want to give you a little advertisement here for city life groups that we're going to be rolling out on September the 20th. There is so much in a passage like this that I don't have time to develop All of it for you. For instance, I don't have time this morning to develop uh, all of the implications of how Jesus, uh, of how grace reverses the values of the world. I don't have time to go into all of that today, okay? But as I said, on September 20th, we're going to roll out our new City Life group ministry. And here's a perfect example of how these groups could be beneficial uh, to you. If you were in a City Life group, you would go to some folks' home, maybe tonight, maybe to be tomorrow night, maybe to be another night uh, of the week. And you guys would be encouraged by a set of questions that we provide that go along with this sermon. You would be uh, encouraged to think about and to discuss among the group the other implications of this point. Like you could ask questions and things, but you could also brainstorm. What are some of the implications of a point like that? And I'm going to tell you something. Not only would you be blessed by the friendships that you develop in there, you would be amazed at how much you would come up with and how that would enhance your experience of worship and deepen the impact of the truths of this passage on your life. And you would be amazed by the joy uh, and by the hope uh, that that kind of interaction would have on your life. And so I want to encourage you. Sean Little is going to come up. He's going to be talking about these again in just a moment. I would encourage you to listen very carefully to what Sean has to say. And I would encourage you to be thinking now, between now and the 20th of September, be thinking about getting involved in one of these city life groups so that you could interact around something like this, okay?
Now, I want to just take a moment, and I want to close this passage this morning uh, with this, because I, I want you to see this in this passage. When Jesus goes into Jairus' home, there, there are all of these people in there that are wailing and that are mourning. And Jesus walks in, and he says to them, he says, why all the commotion? He says, she's really just sleeping. I, I should mention to you that this has confused uh, some people because they say, like, oh, maybe this, this, uh, maybe this was just a resuscitation. Maybe it wasn't a resurrection. Maybe, maybe she wasn't really dead. You know, um, you need, to un- you need to know that Matthew and Luke, two of the other gospel writers, also include this story. And they make it more clear in their passage that the girl was dead. The text says that uh, after the resurrection of this girl that, uh, that her spirit uh, returned to her. So it was very clear that she was dead. The people laugh at Jesus when he says, you know, why all the commotions? She's really just sleeping. But it doesn't matter to Jesus that they're laughing at him. He goes in and he sits down, and it's really very sweet. He takes the little girl by the hand, and he says two things to her. First is the word Talitha. Literally, it means girl, but that, that really doesn't get across the real sense of the word. It's, like a, it's, it's, it's more like a pet name, like a name that a mother would have you know, for her little girls, like, like honey, you know. So this is Jesus taking this little girl by the hand and, and, and saying, honey. And then the second thing he says is kum, uh, which means uh, wake up, get up. And so what he's saying to her, is, it's really very sweet, and it's, it's best, tra- this is the Lord of the universe, he's saying to this little girl, it's very sweet, and it's best translated, honey, it's time to get up. And the amazing thing is that she does. Now, as we close this morning, would you just notice two things here? First, would you just notice again Jesus' power? Uh, Jesus is facing a power more terrible than a hurricane and more terrifying than a demon. Jesus is facing death here. The most terrible and terrifying enemy of the human race. And I want you to see that such is Jesus' power that simply by holding this little girl by the hand, he just gently lifts her up right through death and into life. And you see, you know, listen to me on this. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what you're concerned about, no matter what you're waiting on, no matter how bad things seem to be getting, Jesus is saying to you, look, if I have you by the hand, even death itself is nothing but a good night's sleep. That's what my power is like. And so there is nothing that you're going through this morning. There is nothing that you're waiting on. There's nothing that, no matter how bad things seem to be getting, there's nothing that is too much for Jesus to handle. No matter how complicated, no matter how complex, no matter how bad it gets, if Jesus has you by the hand, even death is nothing but a good night's sleep. Your problem is nothing for Jesus. Second, would you, notice, would you notice Jesus' love? You know, when you were, when you were little, I, if, your parent, if your parent had you by the hand, like if they were holding your hand, you felt like everything was okay in the world, right? Like you were safe if your parent had you by the hand. 
This is the ultimate parent, Jesus, who has this little girl by the hand, and he's going to bring her through the darkest night. And for us to see the Lord of the universe, the one whose hands scattered the stars like seeds, taking her by the hand and saying, Honey, it's time to get up. Let me ask you something. Is there anything that's going on in your life right now that you need to be afraid of? Anything at all? If you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me on this. This may be the most important thing that you hear all week long. I want you to hear this. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are as safe in this universe as you can possibly be. Let me say that again. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are as safe in this universe as you can possibly be. Because he has you by the hand. Now, some of you, I'm certain some of you are saying, do you know what I've done in my life? Do you know the things I've said? Do you know the things I've done? Do you know the way that I've hurt people? Do you know the way I've used people? Do you know the stuff I've done that is so contrary to everything that Jesus stands for? Do you know what I've done? He would never hold me uh, by the hand. He'd never do. How could he take me by the hand? Do you know how I've messed up in my life? You know how many people and things I've messed up? He would never. How could he take me by the hand? I want you to know something. That the answer to that question is the cross. That's how he could take you by the hand through the cross. I want you to hear this. Jesus on the cross lost his father's hand. In a very real sense, as Jesus hung on the cross, his father, who had always held his hand, his father dropped his hand, and Jesus lost it on the cross. There is nothing more frightening for a little child than to lose the hand of the parent in a crowd or in the dark. And that is nothing compared to what Jesus experienced on the cross. He lost his father's hand on the cross. He was alone. He was cosmically abandoned on the cross because he who knew no sin became sin on that cross for you and for me. He went into the tomb so we could be raised out of it. He was crucified outside the camp and became unclean so that our uncleanness could be dealt with and we could be made clean and whole. He lost his father's hand so that we could know that he will never, ever, ever, ever forsake us. You're waiting today. And you wonder if he's hearing your prayers. You wonder if he cares. You wonder if he's forgotten you, if he's forsaken you. You wonder, does he not see what's going on? Understand something. Jesus lost his father's hand on the cross so that you would know that he would never, ever, ever forsake you. Are you trying to hurry, Jesus, this morning? Are you? I want to encourage you to take him by the hand. Let him do what he wants to do. I promise you, you're going to get more than you bargained for. I promise you, too, that you're going to give more than you bargained for. I want you to know that all of that is because Jesus loves you completely. He knows what he's doing. It's time to wake up. Would you pray with me?
We are stunned by your power, Lord Jesus Christ. That the worst enemy in the world, death, the most terrifying, the most terrible enemy in the world to human beings, your power overcomes. Ultimately, the reason that you were able to conquer death is because you died for our sins, but you were raised again from the dead. Lord Jesus Christ, there are people here this morning who feel that you would never take them by the hand because of the places that their hand has been. Because of the things that they've done with their hand. The people that they've hurt. The people that they've used. The people that they've taken advantage of. The people that they've stolen from. People that they have physically assaulted. But Lord Jesus Christ, would you speak to them this morning? That in a crowd, it seems like that the people that are so, you know, that have messed up so much and that are so messed up, those are the people that you seem to be the most attracted to, that you gravitate towards. Would you remind them this morning that you love and that your power is so great that you're able to wash clean all that they've done and that you're able to transform them? Would you encourage them and would you speak to them in that? And may, may today be a day that perhaps for the first time ever in their lives that they would believe upon you, Lord Jesus Christ. Because they see you not as, not as a person who is only attracted to those who have done right all their lives, but that your grace reverses the values of the world and that you would have them wherever they are today. Lord, for those that are here this morning that are waiting, they're wondering if you have forsaken them, that as they wait, things get worse, I pray that you would encourage them today, that you hear, that you know, that you have not forsaken them, that you never will forsake them. And would you encourage them to let you do your work, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray these things now in your name. We worship you, Lord Jesus Christ. We worship no man. We worship no other God than you, Lord Jesus Christ. May your name be exalted in our lives and in our church. Amen.